Welcome to the underground. Turn me up, bitch! My Little Underground with Peter A. It's My Little Underground. I'm Peter A. Make sure you're subscribed anywhere you get podcasts and follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at MLUPod. Today on the show, we have native New Yorker Ryo Was. She's here to talk about her upcoming debut full-length album, Angel, I'm Frightened, Side B. She also put together an excellent compilation on Bandcamp, NYC Sides Volume 1, which benefits food issues groups, and they provide meals to New Yorkers in need. And we also talk about diversity and lack thereof within the New York City DIY music scene, and plenty more right here on My Little Underground. Ryo was. What's going on? Welcome to My Little Underground. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. How are you doing with all this um, COVID business going on? Are you hiding out from the rest of the world like all of us? Uh, y- yeah, I'm. I'm hiding. I. I feel like I'm. I'm also in the world still. <laughs> I'm still in New York. You know, I didn't go anywhere. Oh, great. Yeah. Well, you're you're born and bred here, born and yeah. raised. So you know, you're not like some of these people trying to escape. You know what I'm saying? No, there's. I'm going down with the ship. You know, there's there's oh, no yeah. way to escape. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you're you're a big fan of Cocteau Twins, right? I really well, I I really am right now. I wasn't until March. I didn't I didn't like I didn't hadn't developed a, a deep relationship with uh, their music until March when it like hit me like a ton of bricks, and I've just been obsessed with Heaven or Las Vegas. I'm catching up. I'm make, making it for last time on that record. Then you'll you'll probably love the uh, beautiful noise documentary that came out a few years ago. Have you heard of that? I haven't actually. Oh, it's remarkable. They kind of go through all the 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 shoegaze legends, and I've never heard of Cocteau Twins until I saw that documentary. And they were they were one of the first bands that they talked about, and it's just incredible. If you're a fan of them, definitely check out that movie. I will. I will. Thanks for the tip. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, in your yeah, go ahead. I'm I'm just I'm saying like I'm getting a a a new education in in like glossolalic music um, that I feel like I'm saying like I feel like I this should have been like a deep part of my listening for like decades that I that I missed while I was doing other things distracted from from the real point that now I'm feeling so drawn to with them. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, so like in your early you know discovery of. Cocteau Twins. I'm sure that Elizabeth Fraser's voice kind of struck a chord with you, no? Totally. Um, but also the like the harmonic structure of that record and of the music. I like there are all these like embedded subtle surprises, which I'm like really a sucker for. Um, I feel that it, with my favorite Bjork songs, where you're just like you sort of they drag you down super deep the, in the hole, and then really surprise you with something so subtle that feels like seismic. I, I really feel that from um, the harmonic choices of that record. Yeah. And just in general, listening to that, that kind of music, it kind of catches you off guard because, you know, it's not what is said, it's kind of how it's said, you know, and that's not for everybody necessarily. Totally. That's such a good way of describing it. 
Um, it's why for me it doesn't matter that there are no that the words are not that the words are nonsensical. It I love I love that. That feels like even more the point than when the words are the words. But you're right. I don't think that's for everyone. Definitely for me. <laughs> yeah, same, same, same. Definitely. <laughs> Maybe like this is from my observation of hearing this kind of music and what they call quote unquote mumble rap today. I think maybe subconsciously a lot of maybe new rappers have kind of inspired by cocktoo twins without even realizing it. You know, is that fair to say? Am I, I crazy or what? No, I love, I love that theory so much. Um, I also agree. I like, I'm, a mumble like i i don't care what i what the mode is as long as i like feel what's happening i'm not i'm really not attached to knowing the words or or whatever um yeah if the emotion has like a vein like has a way a, a route that's like that then it hits me like anything else um i like your theory i think you should i think you should explore that <laughs> <laughs> we'll do we'll do i'll put it in my journal or just like just start interviewing mumble rappers on like their subconscious uh, influence from Cocteau Twins. That sounds like a college course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, maybe I should do that. I should be a professor. Yeah. I mean, you could have fooled me. I, I'm you're you sound like a musicologist as it is, and wow. you, I mean, you probably are. No, you've you're a you're a journalist documenter. Hop, skip, and a jump from musicologist. Wow. Wow. All those in one. That's great. I got to add that to my resume now. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about you now. Um, so your Angel I'm Frightened, not EPs of sorts, because you put out side A mm -hmm. and you're putting out side B and it's going to be a full length album. What's yes. the story there? Yeah, it's okay. a full-length album that I decided to split in two for the release um, because it's my debut and uh, because while performing the record, and I, I performed it for well over a year before scheduling the release, um, I realized like in, in the way I was building the show, I was building like a, a pretty like call and response kind of uh, doubling reflect reflective uh, – <sighs> show that was very dependent on like on duality on there being one side that pushes against the other and um it i at first had the record aligned to sort of present the whole piece side by side um with with the the two sides in a different order um and all kind of like mixed in and it dawned on me after a show one night that they should actually be separated and I should let the extremes live. Um, and it's worked really well. It helped, I think, present side A as like one whole feeling and side B is a different feeling and they they push and pull against each other. Um, so yeah, it's a full length LP that is coming out in two sides and it's been a long time in the making for me. And you didn't plan to do it. I mean, you didn't like write it down in stone that this is how I'm going to put out this album. It just kind of just came to you as you were performing it. Is that right? Yeah, I had, I thought I knew what the order was, but I hadn't committed yet to a release schedule. And, but I had already been, been performing it. I mean, I've been performing with my band, with the same band, um, this, essentially this record 
in full since um, September of 2017. Wow. So yeah, the music was still being like recorded and, and finalized then, but it's been a body of work for a very long time. Um, and I uh, love set lists. Like I love... I love writing set lists. I love thinking about like the curation of the experience of a show. And once we hit on, once we hit our stride with the show, it made me really like reconsider actually what the stride of the record was. It was interesting. I, I learned a lot from performing it about how to present the music. Um, yeah. And then I, I made like a total left turn and made like a, a very different decision about how I would schedule it and how it would present it. Um, and my manager was there for sort of that amalgamation and I think was really excited about that change and it like it really lit a fire under us to start scheduling it and then we did so you and your manager are kind of having these kind of conversations about you know what to do in your live performance or it's just you just thinking on the fly or what feels right to you not about the live performance. I mean, he, we met at one of my shows and the show was already, the show was already like really fully realized. But as we were discussing um, release, our release schedule and our approach to releasing once we, once we started working together, uh, it, it happened in that time that we, that I sort of had the realization about splitting it up. And he, he, I think he was really excited by it. And I think it made sense to him as someone who, before knowing me, saw the show. He saw he heard the music first presented live before even hearing the record. Uh, and I think something clicked, like a, a bridge was formed um, from I – I came up performing. I'm a live performer before I'm a recording artist. The recording side of me is newer um, in, in contrast. So – I think there was maybe something missing in how I was presenting. Like I wasn't writing the set list right for the record. And then once that clicked, we were like off to the races. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about, you know, the times we're living in right now with, with everything going on, you know, from a public health crisis to a uh, social justice uh, standpoint, mm -hmm. how do you feel about, being a musician during this time, especially with social media, are you really careful about what you're posting or is just, you know, are you going to, are you taking a step back and not really doing anything or kind of flooding social media with support or like, where's the middle ground? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, social media has been interesting for me uh, because it's functioned... I've been able to really be in character on social media and my presence and my uh, page has been about information about my project and, you know, finding little ways to perform through social media, through video clips, through abstraction, you know, just I've, I've tried to find a playful way to be on social media, but it's about the music project. That's, that's what the content is about. Um, and I think that anyone who has anyone that listens to them has a responsibility to disseminate pertinent information in a time like this. And I like pretty without pretty much without missing a beat, just found myself immediately changing tone, like breaking tone um, to participate and to advocate again for my city, the ship that I'm going down with, you know, through 
whether it's the pandemic, whether it's the fight for black lives, whether it's I this this city like holds me so much and I just like I don't know. I I I don't I think the line got blurred immediately and I'm perfectly fine with it. So I I changed on a dime and have been very different on social media than I was before. And I think it's a good thing. And I don't intend to change that. Um, It feels nice to have broken voice. Yeah. That just kind of is what happened. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm seeing what you're doing on, on social media and you kind of read the room, so to speak, you know, you, you halted the release of your album because of everything going on. I don't think you thought it was fair to put this out there when everything is happening, but I think, you know, you're, you know, you're an artist. I think there's been plenty of musicians that have existed throughout times of, of, uh, you know, civil rights, Bob Dylan, Nina Simone, Marvin Gaye. And, you know, it, yeah, I think it's important for artists to be artists, but at least you're, you know, you're pointing out the elephant in the room. Sure. And like, if you're as, Social media requires us, especially as indie artists, to take up space. And I think considering the space you take up when very important things are happening is is a responsibility. Um, but I did. I had Angel I'm Frightened, the title track of the record, was scheduled to come out in June. And I decided not to reschedule that because it felt like a strange investment in a in my voice going back to business as usual. And I wasn't interested in that. Um, so I let that come out and had it come out while, while amidst, amidst, you know, everything else I was doing and advocating for. And it felt really good. It felt just real. Um, and that was nice. It was actually, I was happy with that decision. Um, because, you know, if, I have to be able to be all, all the parts of myself and I'm like super connecting to trying to be an advocate, trying to understand and follow the wisdom of organizers and activists who've been working on this work for decades. Um, and then I'm trying to practice my artwork and offer something to the world. So it's all, it is all happening at the same time. Um, I don't, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that, you know, with everything with everything happening, it's like you are doing something and business as usual is what we're trying to change. Yes. So, yeah. So, what I and your New York your NYC Sides Volume 1 compilation with unreleased artists from New York City artists which, you know, it was you're working with a lot of great causes with will which we'll uh, dive into but mm-hmm. from the music side of, of things you know why did you want to put this compilation only on bandcamp well that that this compilation was also and probably was the first break from business as usual for me um, I'd, I've never done anything like that before um, and in March, I'm I'm super close with food industry folks. Um, they're they're my people, the artists, artists and weirdos as much as as the rest of us, you know. Um, and I was witnessing food issues group mobilize in this incredible way, changing course to like 
taking a, a, a left turn in the, the way they usually operate to mobilize and to like get in gear and start feeding people with their resources that, that they had um, and was so inspired by it. And, you know, at the same time, I'm like mourning the loss of shows and missing the hang and missing the camaraderie of, of being an artist in New York. Um, and I, like got with my manager and was like, what if we did a compilation record? Like, what if we gave what if we gave people an opportunity to to contribute and participate and advocate for something that I really believe in and help these people that I see, like really going to bat for New Yorkers? Um, and I had never done anything like that before to this point, really. I mean, other than than participating in in the ways I can, I I'd never really put something together like that. And other than curating shows, I guess it kind of felt like curating my dream bill, like my dream show, you know, Wow, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience. Um, so yeah, that was, I think maybe that was the end of business as usual. Also, we did that in the middle of this album cycle. I released the first single from side B and then we released a whole compilation of something else. And then I went back to side B for the second single. <laughs> One might argue that was a, a bad move in terms of um, consistent messaging, but fuck it. <laughs> so why, why a Bandcamp comp instead yeah, of yeah, the yeah. traditional Spotify playlist that some sure. will do? You know? um, well, we wanted to make sure that Food Issues Group got money and that they got it soon. We released it. Um, during one of the Bandcamp Fridays, I think it was the second Bandcamp Friday that happened during yeah. um, during COVID. And I actually wrote Bandcamp about featuring it because they had an ongoing list about uh, records or organizations that were fundraising for certain causes. And they agreed to take to to in for perpetuity for the like life of this record to take even a smaller cut than usual so they're taking very little and the money is is just going directly to food issues group so that they can buy food for meals as soon as they get it it just was like the clearest way to do it um i also wanted to be respectful you know all these artists donated work donated b-sides c-sides d-sides as it were nyc-sides um they donated work that they hadn't had plans for, but I don't want, um, I, I have no like intention of like owning or making that exclusive. So I wanted to have it on Bandcamp for this cause, but at some point in, in some distant future, like allow these artists to use it again, you know? And if it's on, if it's already on streaming services, that's a little more difficult. Um, I don't, I don't quite know how that works, but it's just, it seems like there's, Bandcamp is clearer in that way. You know, people buy music and then they own it like like we used to, right? So if any of these artists want to put any of these songs on a record of theirs in three years, they should be able to do that without it being confusing from like a DSP standpoint. Um, so actually, I would say they they lent me. They they lent this music to the compilation um, as, a, as like a temporary exclusive, which is so cool. Tell me more about uh, food service groups and what, what they do and why you have such a deep uh, interest in it. Yeah. Um, so food food issues group, FIG. Food FIG issues. Is, yeah, ah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Food issues group, FIG as they're known uh, on the street, uh, has been, they're an organization that's been meeting, I believe, for five or six years. And they're, you know, chefs, food workers, front of house, back of house, food purveyors, farmers, uh, wine people, people 
who work in food, but who are interested in discussing, educating, advocating for the issues inherent in our food system. And in New York, that means inherent in uh, restaurants too, you know. And they're as far as I understand, um, I'm not a meeting attendee. I just am super close with a lot of people in, in this group. But as far as I know, they would meet sort of like a study group and they would discuss topics um, that, that, they would, that they were trying to incorporate in their own restaurants and their own restaurant model and the business model and their um, sourcing and just like, you know, continue to evolve their businesses and their their way way of being in the food industry and not you know not take business as usual for granted because there's there are a lot of issues like there are everywhere a lot of issues in in food industry in restaurant industry um and you know they're not they were not a group feeding people before covid hit um and i i actually semi-witnessed a meeting an emergency meeting they held in march to uh, discuss the very clear and imminent need that there would be soon f- for food. I mean, people were losing their jobs. Restaurant workers who would be unable to get unemployment, um, just like there, there were going to be hungry people imminently in the city, m- more than there already are, of course. And they, you know, knowing that they weren't set up to do this already, just like figured out a way to solicit donations, to route those donations to restaurants that were operational still so that they could get get those restaurants to commit to a certain number of meals. Then they came back and picked up those meals and distributed them through existing organizations in the city that were already dealing with hunger in New York and could express, you know, the the like explicit need to them. So Ali Forney Center, um, the movement for justice in El Barrio, uh, street cart, uh, street street vendor project. So the three that um, off the top of my head that they worked with, especially in the beginning, most closely um, to identify need and figure out who needed food and who needed meals and how many people and how many meals. And they just got it done. It was amazing, amazing to see. Um, and they're still doing it. I mean, I think they they are continuing to make about 3,000 meals a week. Still, we're four months into this, you know. So as there you can hear, no I'm, I'm passionate yeah. about it. <laughs> great. No, great. That, that's why I got you on here. And it's, there is no business as usual. You know, like we said, we're, we're trying to change that. And I think that's really cool that you connected with with this group. Yeah. And let me tell you, in March, I was really scared about everything you're talking about, about food shortages, because yeah. I've been hearing about Trader Joe's is packed, lines around the block. The supermarket in my neighborhood was, was pretty packed, but it wasn't that it wasn't that crazy. But I was really scared for a while. But um, luckily, you know, at least, you know, I'm okay. And, you know, there's some people that aren't, but I'm so glad that, you know, you you were able to connect, you know, a dire public health issue with great music. So, you know, you said that this comp was kind of like your dream bill. So tell me about the selection process of the artists that you've picked. IBGO, Gemma, Mass Gothic, Arthur Moon, uh, Arthur Moon and even yourself. Yeah. Um... Well, I asked so many people and so how many? many how we have 13 tracks on this, 12 tracks on this. I'd say yeah. I I got closer to 20, 25 people to be like, "Yeah, I'm interested," which is 
amazing. Um, well, this is volume one. Exactly. I hope so. Yeah. It the timeline was a crunch, and I I was asking for tracks um, within like a week or two. So that sort of was a, I think a deciding factor for some people. But honestly, there was no one who said no. You know, people were just super down, which is why I, why I love these people. That's why I love this city. Um, yeah, and I you know I turned to artists I admire. I turned to artists that I knew that I had long relationships with. Um, Arthur Moon is a, a longtime collaborator of mine. I was in their band for a very long time. Um, and Lip Talk, actually Arthur Moon had done a remix for me and Lip Talk and Noya had all done remixes of Side A and they were all super down. Um, the last show that I played before uh, quarantine, I'd met Lizzie Loveless. She was the headliner on that bill. Come on, everybody. I think on March 10th or March 11th, like really, really cutting it close. Um, so we had just met that night uh, and I hit her up, you know, two weeks later to add a track to the to the compilation and she was down. IGBO I met a summer or two ago, also on a bill um, and hit up Ben. Again, you know, similarly, just just thinking about people who I'd played with and people who I'd admired. I'd never played with St. Mella, but at Come On Everybody, I think it was also that last night, I, I met Wolf Aviva, who is in my band, also plays with St. Mella. And Wolf was at Come On Everybody that night, and uh, we clicked and exchanged info, and I hit her up. Um, I've become an enormous St. Mella fan since getting acquainted with, with their work. It's yeah, I love that band so much. Um, Mass Gothic, I am also super fangirl for. Um, it's also low-key been a big quarantine um, listening for me. That the uh, I've Tortured You Long Enough record. Ian Chang, who's not a super fan of Ian Chang, uh, had was also in the middle of a record cycle, had just put out his record and gave us a track. And Felicia from Gemma, I met through Arthur Moon also on, on recommendation. Gemma, I know, and you had Gemma on, on the podcast. Yes, I did. Yeah. yeah, they were amazing. Yeah, they're amazing. Amazing. Live and, the work, and as people. Yeah. I've well actually no, I have seen Gemma live. I saw Gemma um on the bill with Meadows and Uni Ika I. Uh I guess that was last last summer maybe. Yeah, Gemma's killing and all the music that Felicia and Gemma has been have been releasing in the last three months is just like remarkable. <laughs> and such a right? lifeline. Such a lifeline, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Um yeah. And I think this this compilation is is at least for me like everything I like you know about how I maneuver the music space artists I don't know artists from New York especially and uh, black artists too so th- you you touch all you hit all the right spots for me oh I'm I'm glad I mean it I'm looking at the at the track list it's really a cross section not along genre lines, which is like my favorite way to to be in the music space in the city. My favorite kind of bills are, are ones that don't follow genre line that like, you know, are more about like people who know people who are like people who would like, you know, who met someone late at night kind of vibe, like more on like people lines than genre lines. I feel like this list is that, you know, like I could see where I, where where we would all meet. It realistically that like has nothing to do with the type of music we play or 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And you know, you got to do me a favor. You got to hit up IBGO for me. I've been trying to get them on the show yeah. for months. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I'll try. I'll, I'll do All my right. best. They're very lovely people. That track foundation also is so good <laughs> so good it's so damn good it's so oh, damn man. good yeah. yeah their their show or the bill i played with them on at cafe urzuli uh, a couple of summers ago their show blew me away they're just like like lightning in a bottle you know their live show is really incredible are you familiar with gogo music yeah don't they have that kind of, you know, aesthetic to them? Yeah, totally. Like a trouble funk kind of mood, you know? Totally. That's what I thought of immediately. I'm like, wow, this is like New York's, this is like New York's go-go scene. I love totally. it. Totally, totally. And they just like are a rare band that can just completely transform the space from the minute they start playing, you know? Like we are, we and everything around us and the entire space around us like b- belong to them. The minute they start playing, they just like, you know, project such a wide a wide vibe net and like a wide like experience. Uh, yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. <laughs> yeah, you did You did something great here, Raya. You put Thank something you. great together. I can't oh. wait for part two, three, and four. Let's go. Let's I know. Do it. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm I'm motivated. You're you're giving me the, the push I need. Um, it's hard, it's hard to ask. You know, you don't wanna, everyone's in a crunch. It's hard, it's hard to ask, to ask of artists, but I was just so encouraged with a lot of the responses were like, thank you for giving me an opportunity to give back. So I have to remember that. It's a two-way street. People people want to give back. They want to participate. And making that easy um, is a good feeling. And man, release day, release day felt like a party. Everyone was just like, we were all like super in sync and super on board with like what the day's push was and what the strategy was. And it was like, it was so cool. It was so cool to see that orchestrated. And then actually we did a second release round on Our House. Did you watch any of their programming through the last couple of months, the Our House TV? No, I haven't been watching a lot of uh, live stream concerts. I think I saw like one or two. Mm. It, our, street, our House was cool because it wasn't exactly a live stream. It was like you could you could enter all kinds of content like like concerts live like shows shows from before times like weird art pieces i had a a, a, like projection piece that i like an installation projection piece that i did a couple years ago they aired that um in april or march or april they were like really uh like open to all sorts of visual you know not just sort of like the standard live stream performance um and they were super hyped on nyc side graham who runs our house is also a new yorker and we we clicked immediately and he did we we did like a listening party on our house and my friend black l who does visuals and like mixed media art he's also a musician um did like an archival visual loop that that we ran through the duration of the record and had like a listening party on our house in may it was also really cool those nights felt like shows you know release those two release days felt like like mini festivals it was it was a blast actually i'm lying i did watch some stuff i watched uh rap boys have a twitch and they do some very entertaining stuff over there (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah our house is cool it was a a cool a cool uh covid pop-up you know yeah um, so you're a native New Yorker. So what part of New York were you uh, born and bred and in raised Chel- in? In Chelsea. Oh, okay. In Manhattan. Okay, cool. Yeah. So 
you know, as an artist maneuvering the the DIY scene, you know, have you noticed, well, what, what have you noticed about the diversity of the bills from all your time going to shows in New York? It depends, but it can be really problematic. You know, I think I've found that certain venues and and those curators and bookers are committed to developing artists and creating a space for artists to stretch out. Um, you know, and I'm talking about like smaller venues, not not even talking about like a, a Bowery or whatever, but like um, smaller venues who want to see artists thrive. And I think there's like take some vision to to achieve that. And in those venues, I find that diversity and representation can be uh, really strong, but not not always. And coming up for me, um, I didn't see a lot of women on stage. And I also, when I was young, young, when I was a teenager, I was like operating mostly in like a jazz and improvised music circle and was always the only girl. So there's that. Um, and yeah, I think I think it's I think it's something that we all have to advocate advocate for and work for constantly and hold bookers and curators and programmers accountable for, you know. Um, but that that being said, I've been on some amazing bills at Come On Everybody. Come On Everybody has just been such such a home for me and so many other artists. Um, and I feel, you know, in that space, I really trust their work and I trust uh, I trust that they're keeping an eye out and they're really trying to make sure that there is representation. There's representation across genre, across faces in those genres, across gender, across, you know, and it's... Um, it's important and it's important to trust in the people who run these venues to to be doing that work because um, I I don't think that work is done without effort you know the the landscape of music just can be very white and very male and we have to fight against that all the time I think yeah absolutely and let me tell you I'm I'm from Long Island mm -hmm. and you know, heavy white population. Mm -hmm. And I used to go to some DIY shows around here. And there was one instance where me and my brother were leaving the, the venue. I tell this story all the time. We were leaving the venue and then another black person saw us. And then this was his reaction. I kid you not. And I quote, black people come here. I, <laughs> I, I laughed, but I knew it was a sad reality of, you know, the DIY scene. There's, you know, very, there's a, a, a lot from what I've seen. Not that many, you know, diverse bills. Yeah. But when I saw Ava Luna and Gemma, mm -hmm. my world turned upside down. I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, you know, the hipster part of Brooklyn ain't too bad now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, the, you know, there were, what venue was that? Do you remember the um, show the, you were I, at? Oh, it was a, it was a small DIY spot in, on Long Island that doesn't really ex exist anymore. Oh, uh, and on Long Island too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was our, I was picturing you coming into the city for shows. <laughs> Sorry, I was I was excluding the Long Island DIY venues. I was assuming that that you were in in the city for it. <laughs> yeah, I you know I've been you know when I started going to shows in in the boroughs, um, I, I was thinking that okay, the boroughs, New York City, 
you know, diverse. It's, there's different cultures. You go down in certain parts of Brooklyn where it's like all Russian, then it's all Hispanic. And then it's, you know, so when I started going to a lot of these shows, I didn't see any of that. It was not diverse at all. And for a while, I was like, I don't want to go to the shows because mm-hmm. I don't see me anywhere. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I don't blame you. It's a problem. It's also that like, you know, venues and performance opportunities are not spread out equally like in the boroughs and they tend to be in white neighborhoods. They tend to be in cost prohibitive neighborhoods, you know, which makes it really difficult for those venues to exist and also makes it very easy for only certain populations to get there and to be there. Uh, I don't know of a venue in Brighton Beach I guess I'm sure restaurants have like Russian bands out in Brighton Beach, but <laughs> you know what I mean? There's not yeah. I've seen the thing that's most exciting, actually, as I'm as I'm working this through saying saying it out loud, the thing that's most exciting that I've seen in the last 10 years are venues popping up in so many different neighborhoods where there had not been venues before, you know? Like Absolutely. Come on, everybody's a perfect example. I, I still haven't been there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I still haven't you been. That and uh, what's the other one? Secret Project Robot? Secret Project. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I haven't been there yet. Those are the two spaces I haven't been in the on the DIY. These are your scenes too. Okay. Did you come out to Zebulon when Zebulon was open or Glasslands? No. Yeah. No, I didn't. There was there were good vibes out there too. That was early days, Williamsburg. Ots, Ots Williamsburg. Um, I used to uh, work at a recording studio in Williamsburg that put on uh, experimental, like improvised music shows, like somewhere between noise shows and like improvised um, free jazz vibes. Um, And that was fire. (laughs) That was an amazing space, but like super, I mean, like semi-private in that it wasn't wasn't a bar wasn't like it was like very curatorial it was like a curatorial art space um and again like depending on the curator spaces like that can be really nourishing there's a place called shapeshifter i don't know if it's still around um in gowanus which was the first and only venue i've oh no it's not true bell house is in gowanus um and, and Three's Brewing is in Gowanus. At that time, I didn't know of any other venues in Gowanus when Shapeshifter came around. And again, just like for out, out weirdo music and jazz <laughs> with a great, with a great curatorial event. When I think it was like a, a couple of years ago, maybe a year or two ago, I was out in Huntington and there was this DIY show at, out of this studio and it was like, it was comedy and then there was like a bunch of hip hop artists that was like the most black people I've seen in a DIY space ever, ever. Mm. And this is Huntington, Huntington. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was like, wow, this is, this is good stuff right here. Have you put on shows yourself? Have you curated shows? Yeah. One at um, this bar in in Suffolk County, uh, the Velvet Lounge, me and a friend of mine put together a, a show and it was all women. It was, it was three bands. There was so, like, nobody came, but it was because it was so far out, but it was fun. I had a great time doing it anyway. Yeah. Did, I guess it's not, not for everyone, but did you like, did you like putting the show together? Um, yeah, it was cool because everybody that was there, well, most of the bands I already, I already knew. So mm-hmm. it was, it was just like, you know, a simple 
email or, or like a, a DM say, hey, you want to come out here? And so I even carpooled one of the acts. I was friends with them. So it was like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a fun night. Like I didn't care that nobody really came. I, I, I didn't care at all because I just I had a good time. And I just, you know, it was like I was just doing something with with a friend with friends. That, that's all it was. I mean, that's that's kind of how it always is. That's how that's how you have to be. Like I'm I'm doing this with my friends. I'm doing this with people I admire, and we're gonna make this, you know, a a quality night, a, a an interesting experience, a thought provoking experience, a raging experience. You know, whatever it is, it's kind of all it is. At, in the end, that's all you can do. Yeah. So so as, as an as an artist. In our times right now, with with everything going on with with, with COVID, etc., mm. what is your main priority as a musician? Focusing on how to get back into the live space safely, or just recording music? Which one is it, or both, or none? <laughs> um, if I think for too long about getting back into the live space, I get pretty depressed because I think we're so far from there. Um, I really miss performing a lot, uh, but at, I at the same time, I don't. I'm not one that usually can like perform and be writing at the same time. Performing like really kind of turns me inside out, um, and writing inverts me, like you know, complete the complete opposite. So with with shows not on the horizon, I've found it pretty easy to actually dip into writing a new record um, and. I've been working away at that a lot, actually, I'm even surprising myself with uh, how much time I've been able to devote to that. Uh, and that it feels good. I it it ebbs and flows for sure. I had t- two months that were really strong, and then I kind of dipped off a little bit. It's also it's hard for me to release music and also be composing. Releasing almost feels like a performance. Um, so when Angel I'm Frightened came out, I kind of like the studio vibes dipped a little bit for me, but I think, I think I'm getting, I think I'm getting back there. Um, and yeah, I'm even more than that, just trying to, I'm trying to think about the, like the musical language of the next record and like the, the direction that my music is going and, uh, be, be really intentional about like, about what that is, which is cool. I, Great. Just, I just got a bass, my my first my first electric bass baby. So there you go. I've been playing a lot of bass. <laughs> great, great. So I'm expecting a lot of low end on the next album. There's al- always it. always a lot of low end. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I haven't had a bass till now is a is a problem. <laughs> it's a crime. It's a crime against musicianship. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know. I'm yeah. Doing, doing my best, doing my best to try and stay, keep my head above water and, and stay, uh, I don't know. Above water. Stay above, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Uh, Raya was on my little underground. Thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, Angel, I'm afraid, side B, coming real soon. Angel, I'm and frightened. Angel, I'm Angel, frightened. frightened. Sorry. What did I say? What did I say? I'm afraid, which is also I'm afra- true. <laughs> I'm frightened and I'm afraid. um please i highly recommend nyc sides volume one on Bandcamp. i have it myself and it's awesome for real for real um anything else you want to plug or share 
before I kick you out of here? <laughs> I, I did a lot of plugging. But yeah, buy NYC side, support food issues group, be kind to each other, support your neighbors, just, you know, check in on each other. It's the I think it's the best thing we can do right now. Great. How can people find you on uh, social media and whatnot? You have a website? What's popping? Right. Yeah, I have a website, uh, riawas.com. I'm riawas on Instagram. I'm riawas on Bandcamp too. You know, I'm just always me doing what I do. <laughs> and Rye was on My Little Underground. Yeah. And she was. She literally was. I, I literally was. <laughs> Thank you for <laughs> Thank having you so me. Much. Thank you. Yeah, anytime. Yeah.